Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got another great Thursday evening. Uh, First up, of course, as always, another exciting round of uh, Coach's Corner. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Meredith Kirk. She's an LPJ teacher professional as well as an author and the uh, former uh, Mrs. South Carolina in 2014. She'll be joining on the second half, but I've got two great gentlemen coming up here in just a minute. But let me just very quickly read out. Uh, just a few points that I want to uh, get across before I bring the, my, my buddies on here uh, for Coach's Corner this, uh, this evening. Uh, as I mentioned always, we, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, or that's 7 to 9 uh, for those of you on the East Coast. Uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you to the main page and of course the live broadcast will be right there at the top and if you can't uh, join us live not a problem the shows are all auto recorded just scroll down into the on demand section at that link blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and you can check us out uh, in the on demand section uh, always welcome uh, would love to take your calls here uh, on the show at uh, area code 646 uh, or you can email questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Uh, always update, of course, on social media at facebook.com forward slash golftalklive blog, uh, as well as on Twitter. My Twitter handle, of course, is Ted and Buck CEO. Uh, thank you for all of the recent followers as well on, on Twitter. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got two great guys. They've been on here uh, many, many times on the show. Always uh, excited to have these two guys on. Uh, Clint Wright and Pete Buchan. Let me just tell you a little bit about uh, the two of them, and then I'll bring them out. We'll we'll get into some discussion tonight about uh, our favorite sport, golf. Uh, Clint Wright, of course, is a 30-year member of the PGA. He's a partner at TGM Golf, and he's a big proponent of the R3 approach, uh, and he's among one of my favorite guests. Uh, and right beside him, of course, is Pete Buchanan, uh, also one of my favorite guests, uh, founder, director of instruction, and owner of the Plain Simple Golf, LLC. Uh, Plain Simple Golf, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And together, uh, wow, they've got 60 years combined experience. So that's a lot of experience in this industry. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, guys, welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. We may be getting so old we've forgotten everything we know. I'm not sure. Well, I, I was just – That may not I, be I'm a bad quite, thing. Yeah, I'm not quite at the 30-year mark myself yet, but I figure once we get there, we'll have 90 between the three of us, and that's that's pushing 100. So we're getting up there, guys. Oh, uh, we're, we're there, you know, we're there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if we added our ages up, we'd be well over well over 100. But anyways, um, guys, welcome to the show. I always always love having you guys on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Um, and for the next little while, uh, for those of you tuning in live, uh, sit back, relax and enjoy what we're going to talk about tonight i've actually some of these talking points i actually did on another show but i want to do them tonight uh, especially with you two guys on here because i know we'll get some great answers as always 
uh, I do on the show. Um, first question, and I'm going to start, Pete, this time. Clint, I know I always start with you, but I'm going to give, yeah, no uh, since Pete's right up there as well, I'm going to give you a rest this this panel discussion and, and start with <laughs> Pete first tonight. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions or misunderstandings, I guess, uh, or misnomers, however you want to phrase it, about the golf swing. Um, in, in your mind, Pete, what are some of the misconceptions that a lot of some of our amateur golfers have about the golf swing in general? Um, what don't they get? What what do they get confused about? Do you think um, with, with some of the uh, the I guess applications of the golf swing? Well, I think probably the biggest one many of them don't get is they don't understand the relationship between the club and the ball impact, and mm-hmm. you know what the impact's going to tell them. You know, they can see the ball fly out there, but they don't have any idea why it's doing what it's doing. And then, right. you know, usually as an amateur, their reaction is the exact opposite of what they should do. And so they only compound the problem and make it worse. And I think a lot of times, too, you know, there's so much information out there today. Um, they can get a little bit lost, uh, I would say, in the forest for the trees. And, um mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things they're trying to do with, you know, different body applications, uh, different uh, arm swings, different uh, biomechanics, you know. And all of this information is great, but I think at times today, especially in in a lot of the players that I talk to, uh, you know, I ask them, first of all, what they're trying to do, and and usually it has nothing to do with what they're trying to hit. And then I ask them, you know, why are you trying to do this? I said, well, we've been reading all this stuff, and you know, we figure you know, right. we're getting behind because all these guys are doing all these things, and, you know, I'm trying to move this and move that and turn and distance. And, and I'm like, well, let's go back to the basics. I said, let's get the club and the ball together first, and, and then you'll probably find that 90% of those things that you're reading are going to happen anyway. Um, right. So I think for me the biggest thing, and especially it, it's been great for me the last few weekends I've been playing with, Actually, it's been a few months. My son on the weekends, we've been playing down at this little local municipal golf course, and, and it's been fun just watching these amateurs and then talking to them when they're done. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not that, you know, they sliced a couple right and they sliced a couple left. I mean, the contact is just support. And, you know, it's no fault of anybody's but the fact that they just haven't practiced or had the right ideas to do it. And I think when you when you just give them the basic fundamentals of impact and understand the relationship between the club and the ball, it makes it so much easier. And I think that that takes a lot of that confusion out. And I think it it opens their mind to see you know there's you know it's, it's not that difficult. I mean the game's yeah. hard to play at times, but at least hitting it shouldn't be that hard. So I think to me the club and the ball relationship is the big one for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and that was pretty much the answer we got uh, the, the last time uh, when this question was posed to the panel that night. I think John Hughes was, was on the panel that night. Uh, also another yep. one of my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, guys on the show. Um, you know, Clint, Pete brings up a, a great point. You know, the average golfer doesn't really seem to focus on impact and how the importance of that position they're, they're focusing on, does my swing look right? Am I getting into the slot? Right. Am I, you know, so on and so forth. And then there's a million variables there. Um, what's your take on this as well? What, what are you, from your experience? What are you seeing? A lot of the amateurs are just not understanding. Well, there's a couple of things really. I, I, I can't say it much better. than Pete said some uh, parts of it. Um, one, the one thing that we see is both teachers and and basic club designers and and fitters is they don't really understand the cause and effect of their equipment very well. Mm-hmm. We get guys that come in hitting 
hitting low fades and thinks their club's too flexible. Right. You know, in reality, it's too stiff. They they don't yep. get the connections between it because they're slicing it or for hooking it. You know, they think that you know, just totally misconception on the cause and effect of how the shaft is affecting the club face again. Like Pete said, they don't understand that relationship of the club face to impact. And one of the things that we also think I, I think is a big one is that most amateur players think they're totally responsible for how far the ball goes. Right. Okay. Because we, we, I use a drill that asks a person just simply to make impact with the ball. I don't want them to swing hard. I want them to swing easy. I want them just to hit. Uh, it's a ball and stick game. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. All right. And I just want you to make impact with the stick to the ball. And then I ask them, where did that distance come from? And, you know, they have that deer in the headlight look. Well, I don't know. <laughs> they, they, they cast everything except where it really came from and that it's built in. Right. If you take the ball and drop it on a sidewalk, it bounces. The bounce is built in. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. So they don't understand the, the relationship to club speed and what makes the ball go certain distances. And to Pete's point, the more that we can get them to understand that, the much better chance they have of actually making consistent contact on the ball. You know, because they're not yeah. lifting themselves off the ground trying to hit it. You know, I, I can remember, and it, it kind of, you're exactly right, uh, gentlemen, both uh, some great points. Um, you know, it reminds me of when, when I was uh, a young lad, and uh, my father and I used to go out, and he would, uh, you know, give me some pointers. Now, my father was, was a very good golfer, and you know, he said to me, he said, Ted, you know, one of the biggest flaws I see, he says, you've got a great golf swing. He says, your practice swing is one of the, you know, among the best I've ever seen. He said, but when you get over the ball, he said, something happens. He said, you're trying to, you know, murder the ball. And he said, if you just swing like you do in your practice swing and let the, basically let the ball get in the way of it, he said, you're going to, and, and sure enough, nine times out of 10, he was, he was right. I mean, the ball would yeah. just go a mile um, with very little effort. But as soon as I tried to give a little extra juice, you know, it, it just was not, not, nothing was happening the way it should be. And, you know, of course, all kinds of misdirections. But, um, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it goes right to your point. It's built into the ball uh, as and well. The and the club. We spend and hundreds of dollars and thousands on equipment that's supposed to help us hit it further, and we get in the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I want to jump. I want to jump ahead to one of the questions I didn't get a chance to ask since you, you brought uh, this up. Uh, Clinton, I'm going to start with you, and then and then Pete, uh, by all means, jump in. Um, it's actually two two parts to this question, two different questions, but two parts to it, I guess. Um, number one is, what should the golfer look for when getting clubs for the first time? Now, I'm talking about the first time golfer, the beginning golfer out there. What mm-hmm. should they really be looking for the first time? And then, what about the golf ball? Um, you know, how does how does the pl- player choose the right ball for them? And there's so much. I mean, you guys know this yourself. You've been down to the PGA Show, or you know, mm-hmm. you uh, look on the Golf Channel. There's a thousand golf balls out there. Um, talk about confusion. Talk a little bit about both of them. Let's start with the clubs first, um, Pete. Then you join, okay. and, and then let's circle around to the golf ball. Okay. Uh, well, I, I can only tell you what we recommend. When we have a, a new player come into the to the shop, or we're giving <laughs> lessons to a new player that's got you know, kind of hand-me-down stuff, is that we steer them towards what we call commercial-grade equipment. The old 3 and 8, you know, a good set of 
entry-level clubs that are generally a store brand or house brand golf equipment that they're going to get a couple of woods, a couple of hybrids in today's world, generally about a five-iron to a pitching wedge or sand wedge, and a good putter. And that's where we want them to start because we feel like that it gives them good value for, for what they need. You will never see me recommend a, a new player to go out and buy a marquee set of equipment. Because right. at that point, they really don't know what they need or what's going to fit them. They need something that's going to give them a, a, a reasonable level of performance when they make contact. They don't want to go out and buy the you know, the $149 stuff. It's not going to perform for them. Right. They, they want, we recommend the middle-grade equipment, what, you know, what we used to call the old store line or commercial-grade equipment. As far as the golf ball is concerned, I, I want them to, to get, you know, we, we recommend – Buy buy the reconditioned balls. Get something cheap because you're going to lose a lot of these things. Okay? Right. I mean, uh, you need something that's going to hold up. Don't spend a lot of money. We actually ask them, hey, go through the, the, the dollar ball jar here and pick out the best ones. That's all you need right now. And yeah. once you begin to have some proficiency uh, and become more of a golfer, a player versus a beginner, then you can start making some reasonable choices on what kind of golf ball you may want based on spin rate and, and durability. But but we try to get a person to recognize the fact that this is not an expensive game to get started in. You just need to have good level equipment and and as least expensive golf ball as you can find. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, Pete, before I let you – great answers, by the way. Um, Pete, before I let you jump in, I just want to make a note of that, um, make a comment, rather, in respect to the golf balls, Clint. You know, I was out this past weekend, and I went into uh, one of the major chain stores. I won't tell you which one, but um, – uh-huh. and they had the, the Pro V1 and the Pro V1X um, reconditioned. And, I mean, they, they look pretty much like they're out of the, the box – Right. And a dozen of those were were twelve. I think it was twelve ninety nine. Um, now you know, brand new, they're what forty five to fifty. <laughs> That's right. You know, for for either of of the the brand, and it, it, to go to your point, it, it just befuddles the mind why the average golfer would go out there and spend nearly fifty dollars on <laughs> on. Uh, and I and don't get me wrong, I love Titleist. They're great balls and that. All right. But for for somebody that doesn't have the skill level yet, why they would go out if they want to play the Titleist Pro V1, go to you know some of your local uh, stores that carry uh, you know uh, some of the the golf equipment. Not necessarily have to be some of your major uh, stores, right. but some of the stores and, and buy the the X outs or buy the 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 re- you know refurbished yeah. or you know whatever you want to call it for like a third or fourth of the price. That yeah, way, if you lose a few, you don't feel like that. They're right. called retees. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Hey, and you want to yeah. hear something really funny? I play Callaway. Okay, mm-hmm. I love the Callaway ball. When the guy that would retee brings golf balls into our shop, you know what I do? I go through and find the Callaways. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you that's know. How I know. That's a shout out to anybody that that's playing at uh, at Clint's uh, club there. That uh, if you can't find you're never going to find a Callaway to buy because I got them all <laughs> in my office. <laughs> that's right. Um, Pete, I, I imagine you're probably on the same lines as, as Clint in, in your answer as well, but uh, any other thoughts you want to add to that as well? Well, I mean, he's he's right on the mark with the commercial-grade equipment. I, I'm I'm a little bit 
I have a bonus because I'm, you know, I have a luxury when they come to me. I don't have as many people that I see. So when I get the newer ones, I like to use, and I'll give a shout out to Mulpage Golf Works. I use them all the time. Um, I can I can put together a, a you know a pretty good grade set for them, and I can actually you know get a decent fit for them just to make sure the length is right. You know, I like to stay away from from drivers and and you know get some lofted woods and hybrids. You know, something that they can get in the air off the tee. Uh, but uh, yeah, I agree totally with Clint there on on you know the makeup of the clubs just to make it so you know something that's a medium commercial grade that they can get started with and. You know, on the golf balls, you know, I used to say all the time when I was with the schools, they'd, they'd ask me what golf ball I, I played, and I would tease them. I said, I play the ones I find. They're cheaper that way. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah. but, That's good. I like that. Uh, but I always like to – I told them, I said, well, if you're going to get golf balls, I said, you know, you're really, really looking for two things. Do you want it to last a long time or do you want it to spin more? And that's really the two things you're looking for. So if you already curve it in the air, stay away from the ones that spin more. And if you want it to last a long time, go get the ones in the box that said they go the furthest because those are usually right. hard and they're going to last a long time and, you know, you can't beat the covers off them. You know, and don't right. hesitate to go to the discount store, and, you know, or go into the barrel like I'm saying, you know, you just get some ones to start with. You know, that's that's the thing. You know, my, my, I, I got a, some younger kids that are starting to play now, and I tell them, you know, I said, go to, <clears> you know, go to one of the retail chains and, you know, find some cheap ones to buy. That's what you want to start with. And, you know, and, when when the course is crowded, take a few extra minutes, you know, around the greens and the fairways, you can find all kinds of stuff, you know, to add to your collection. But, yeah. you know, there's so many golf balls today. It's just, you know, uh, you usually well, find, too, you know, the, the, I find that the more expensive the ball is, the, the shorter time it lasts. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I – have done often as well. And I don't know if either one of you have done this, but um, especially with, with some of my diehard uh, students that just, you know, swear by a certain brand is I'll actually mark them out so they can't tell what they're playing and I'll throw uh, you know, a, a different brand down and I'll just say, okay, well here. And they say, why is it marked out? And I said, I, you know, let's play with this today and they'll get out there and, you know, they'll hit it just as well and just as solid or, or not. And I said, you know, and, and it'll it'll be some cheap off the you know off the shelf brand, and I'll throw out there and think they're playing their 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 favorite brand that you know normally they're paying thirty to forty five dollars a dozen for. And I said, look, and two, you know, why are you spending so much money? You're griping about golf being such an expensive sport, and you're spending all this money, and half your balls are in the woods. So you know, all you're doing is is setting up for Pete to come by and find him and play play your golf balls That's you know right. the next week. So I'm throwing my bag out. Right, exactly. And and I guess the point that I, I wanted to get out, um, guys, is this. Um, we're not certainly, you know, trying to knock the industry in any way or say that you shouldn't play this or you should play that. But I think you have to be realistic to your abilities. Um, if you're a, a better quality player or, a, you know, a lower handicap player and you want to, um, as I say, treat yourself to a more premium brand of, of equipment, um, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're somebody that's a beginner uh, or, or a high handicap to go out and spend two, three thousand dollars on a set of golf clubs, and be playing, you know, the, the top of the line golf ball week in, week out, and you're spending most of your time fishing them out of the pond uh, or out of the woods. It just doesn't make any sense. That money could be better spent uh, going to somebody like Pete or Clint and, uh, and and get some some good quality lessons. Agree? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you don't see in the golf shops much anymore. You know, when I was coming up, and probably both of y'all too. The 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 ball that that was 
recommended was the old club special. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. You know, grab yeah. it. And but you don't see that ball on the counters anymore. No. You don't see any ball in that category on the counter anymore. No, uh, it, I, don't, you're right. I don't know why. But. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's obviously effective marketing, and and um, you know, I think we we understand the the reasonings there. But um, but you know, I, I want the amateurs that are listening to the show tonight, particularly to to really take to heart what Clinton and Pete just talked about. Um, you know. It, it's great to say, "Hey, I've got this in my bag," or I, you know, I'm, I'm playing these these golf balls over here. Um, but when it when you get out in the golf course, if you can't put you know one plus one together to equal two, um, it doesn't you know it doesn't matter what you're playing with. Uh, you're going to look, and I hate to say this, but you're going to look just as foolish um, regardless of what you're playing. So, number one, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But uh, you know, get some good quality lessons. Get out and work with a with your local professional. Uh, and work on on fine tuning some of the fundamentals, and, uh, and and then worry about you know as I said treating yourself down the road, um, you know to some higher caliber equipment. But uh, you know if that's what you choose to do. But you know regardless of what golf ball you play, if you can't make solid contact with it, it's not going to matter uh, what you're doing. But um, guys, what about uh, and Clinton? I'm going to go back to you here for a second. Um, favorite drills? Do you have any specific ones that you like to use? I know we can't show anything here. Uh, on air, but um, is there any specific drills that uh, that you like to uh, work with um, with some of your amateurs? Well, you know, I work a lot primarily on uh, with short game folks these days. Sure. But there, there there's quite a few <laughs> drills that we've always. The, I just talked about the drill that I like the most is let let's swing slow and see how far it goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, but I guess the drill that I use the most for people who are putting. It is a simple drill of of stroke, hold, and look. Uh, you know, we get so many people that that they don't stay in position in their putting stroke. They come up, they come out of the putt too early. Uh, yep. They get what we call a rebound stroke. It kind of rebounds back, you know, kind of a whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so what we try to do, obviously, y'all know what I'm talking about, is we we want right. the player to get established. Uh, make their stroke, hold the finish, and then look. Right. And, and that seems to help them get the sequence and the feel of staying, you know, what we want to say down or staying centered on their putting stroke to where the, the, the club face has an opportunity uh, to stay <laughs> square and deliver a square blow to the ball to get a good end-over-end roll. One of the things we began to put with that now, and some people have done it for a long time, is to use the line on the ball to get an indication, you know, like the old range ball or whatever. But they right. all see it on television now with the line and the ball rolling over and stuff. So we've we've kind of added that in for a bit of entertainment. But um, the main thing is for them to kind of stay centered. And I've found in my practice anyway that the stroke, hold, and look drill is very effective on them getting the feel of staying down and centered well past impact and then look to see right. where the ball goes. That's the right. one I use well, the most. Well said. Um, Pete, what about yourself? Uh, any specific drills that you really uh, sort of grapple onto when you're working with your students? I have two that I, I use quite a bit. One's called a wall drill. That uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know if I termed that myself, but that's what I call it. And I, I use it from when the club's in the backswing. Is, is if, if there was a wall behind them, if they had the club flat up against the wall when their hands are shoulder high, we, we go from that position 
to the same position in the forward swing. So it's basically from shoulder to shoulder. And you know me being plain simple golf, I'm I'm a big you know swing plane guy. So it's getting the club in the right swing plane on those two parts. And I try to show them in its simplest form. If you just put the club on plane from shoulder to shoulder, the ball's going to go straight all the time. And so I use that a lot. And then I add to that what, what I what I call a stationary drill, which where I take them to the same spot and I have them stop and then have them start from there. And I said, you know, it's easy from a static position to find the backswing. Let's start from a static position in the backswing to find the downswing so that you right. can know what's going to help you trigger to make the downswing. So I use those two quite a bit um, in, in doing a lot of the full swing stuff. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with, with, uh, with both of those uh, answers. I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, Clint, I know that you're, as you said, you're, primarily working a lot with the short game right now, but um, really once, once you sort of understand, um, you know, even in the short game, you can transition that obviously into the, into your full swing because it's a lot of the same uh, movements and things like that. It's just a a little longer backswing and so forth. But um, you know, I I think what it goes kind of back to, to what was discussed earlier. I think one of the, the problems that a lot of golfers out there have is they're trying to take in too much information. We've talked about this many times on the show before they're trying to absorb too much information. And this leads me to my next um, sort of question for both of you. And and, and Clint, I'll I'll start with you or actually no Pete, I know you just finished up, but I'll start with, with you on this one here. Um, Depending on where you are in the nation of, uh, you know, we're kind of coming to that mid season, if you will, it's, it's uh, now, coming into September here very quickly. Uh, for some, it, it's sort of mid-season. Even uh, for others, it may be even getting closer uh, to towards the end of the season, again, depending on where you are. Um, so depending on where you are, is this a good time for sort of a, a mid-season assessment of their game for them to really take a look and say, okay, this is what's been going on the first half, if you will, um, and, and these are things that I've been working on and, and, and sort of a, an assessment that they maybe should be doing with you guys uh, is this something that you're doing, or do you do it kind of all the way along, uh, Pete? I usually have assessments as we go along, but there are times, especially right now, where I'll look at, uh, you know, we started off the season with goals, and so we'll take a look, you know, right about at the end of August and say, okay, based on the goals we set at the beginning, where are we? You know, right. how have we done? And what are the things that have worked well for you? What are the things that haven't worked well? Um, you know, what drills did you like? What drills did you not like? And we sort of do, as you just said, another assessment from, from now, and then we look at it for the rest of the season, you know, as we finish into September, into the fall, uh, depending on, you know, the guys that are going to stop playing at the end of the fall and the guys that are going to continue to play, you know, whether they're mm-hmm. here or, or go somewhere south for the winter. Um, we, we just look at what we're going to do for the rest of the year uh, based on where they've come from, where they are, and then, and then you know, have we achieved the goals. And, you know, for the most part um, – you know, knock on wood, we've we've achieved. I think probably the least one was about ninety percent of their goals. So we've done pretty good so far at getting them to where they wanted to go to, um, and getting the, the not only the ball contact, but but getting it down. And you know, one of the other things in that that goal sense too that I like to ask them is, is at this point in time, I like to say to them, I said, now when you miss hit a shot, do you know why, and you, can you tell me how to fix it? Because by right. now they should know that. And that's the way I train them to do that. And, for the, you know, every one of them can. And that's a, that's a great point. And so then for me now, it's a checkpoint when I do get them out there going forward, they'll hit some shots and I'll say, all right, tell me what's going on. What's, what's the impact? Tell me about the face, the path, the angle. Tell me what's going on with the club ball contact. 
why did you hit the shot that you hit? What's the cause, and how are we going to fix the maximum? And, boy, they can just spurt the answer right back to me. And if they can, it's okay. I always tell them, you know, it's never, you know, I'm going to ask you questions. If you can't answer it, that's okay. That's not a problem. We'll get to the answer. You know, and don't be afraid to answer one because, you know, it's never, you know, the answers are never dumb. you got to put them out there. I mean, just let me know what you're thinking yeah. so we can get you on the right track. But, yeah, I think it's a great thing to do, especially <clears> this time of year, uh, just to reassess and see where they are and move forward. And, and I think that one of the things, too, um, that and it, you made a great point about, you know, not being afraid to, to give answers or ask questions. Uh, I'm always leery of the student who speaks very little. I mean, I certainly want them to pay attention and listen, but I want them to be engaging, um, you know, with the conversation. It should be a conversation between the student and the teacher. It shouldn't be just one-sided um, for, for two reasons. First off, you know, if, if you're doing all the talking uh, and they're, you know, certainly there's a point you, you want them to listen, but then they want them point to to respond uh, to that. And if they're not, they're just sort of nodding, mm-hmm, yeah, whatever. One of two things happening. Either you're losing them in the translation, they're falling asleep, uh, or they're not understanding what you're saying. Um, because they, they should be able to be engaging. And, and Clint, um, I want to go to you uh, on this one here. Uh, I want you to obviously add your thoughts to, to what uh, Pete was just talking about, sort of mm-hmm. mid-season, if you will. I know we're down, uh, you know, down south here, and and our seasons can be a little bit longer, but um, than some of the, the golfers out there. But um, what do you try to do? Do you sort of assess like Pete does all the way along, and maybe do an overall assessment? And then I also want to throw in here, uh, and, and Pete, I'm going to let you respond to this part as well. Um, Clint, I want you to respond uh, to that initial question, but then also, is it too late in the season? for major changes, whether swing or, or otherwise? Uh, are we too far into the season for major changes? Um, go ahead, Clint. Well, you're, you're right, Ted. You know, years ago when I was in Wisconsin, I saw golf as seasonal. I, I just don't I don't see it that way anymore because of where right. we're at. We play, we play pretty much year-round here. <clears throat> so, you know, usually, Pete's right. We, we want our players, particularly in the, in the areas I'm working in, I want them to evaluate uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. After every round, I want to, okay, you know, we try to get a person to understand we need to advance the ball well enough to score. So did your was your advancement game average today? Let's evaluate that. Did How many greens did you hit? How many fairways did you hit? Was that your normal average? And if it was, then, okay, what, did your score go up or down? Well, obviously, if their score went up, we need to evaluate why. And that's what, did you pitch the ball well? You're putting off today. What what was it? Therefore, we can go to that area, look at the videos that we've got of their successful strokes, and compare and see what they're not doing that they normally would do in a well, you know, in a successful stroke. So you start evaluating, okay, this is the part that's missing. Let's get back on track with what you do that creates good shots, and then maybe your score will come down. Um I never think that it's too late to do anything. Right. Okay. I mean, we see it, you know, I'm working with a person for hopefully for a, a fairly length of time, but we want a person to, to see golf as a long-time experiment to get better. Right. So why wait? If you're, if you're struggling a little bit or want to make some kind of a change in, in uh, how you're going about playing, why wait till April? Let's do it now. Yeah, I mean, uh, go ahead and let's start building into it because we want to play golf year-round here. Uh, and further south, we play year-round. So 
we don't see it as seasonal. So we would encourage a player that that finds a hole in what they're doing. They want to make the commitment to make an improvement in how they're doing it. Let's go on and get started now. And you know, I do know that that in the northern part of the country that that's maybe not practical. But there are some indoor areas that they can use yep. and things that's becoming more popular. So I would think they would want to have, at that particular point, if I'm in the north teaching, I want to have the player evaluate, okay, where were we at the beginning of the season? Where are you now? And do we have an mm-hmm. opportunity to work on these problems from now until next March or April to where we don't mm-hmm. have to, to recreate this problem again? Uh, do we need to get in the gym, get a little more flexible? <clears throat> what, what's, what do we need to work on? So. I could see how that would be practical there, but here we see it more of a long-term, uh, day-to-day, continuing process. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and and, and that's a great point. That, that's a, you know an interesting point, really, for for a lot of the, you know, the folks up in the north that maybe um, don't have the ability at this time or or not uh, have the flexibility um, because they're you know they're working, uh, they're not retired yet or what have you, and they're not coming down here maybe other than a couple of weeks uh, mm-hmm. into the south. Um, but always kind of amazed me, especially in this day and age. Now, 20 years ago, I can understand it because you didn't have the um, the flexibility that you do now. But there are so many great indoor facilities uh, in the Northeast, particularly right now, even right up into Canada. And you know, for those uh, Canadian folks listening into the show tonight, um, there's really no excuse. I mean, traditionally, you know, in the Northeast, the season might be March, April. You might run into uh, late October, early November, depending on, on when the snow starts flying, if it does. Um, and then you sort of call it quits. And it just doesn't make any sense to me, and I, I think both of you probably agree with this, to, to be working on you know your, your golf game throughout the season, get out there and playing, and then come the end of October, November, well, okay, I'm going to put the clubs away now for the next three to four months um, and wait till next year, because now you've missed an opportunity to continue growing uh, in your game for those few months and be better prepared for when you do start back up and playing. You may not be able to play out in the golf course for three, four, five months, depending on where you are, but that doesn't mean you just come to a grinding halt. Uh, and a lot of guys do that. And, and, and then we end up with, a, as you said, the same issue next, next spring. Well, you got bowling league that starts in October, you know, you got to get the bowling league. <laughs> yeah. Come on, give, give them a break. Well, and, and of course, uh, we got hockey up there. And, and I'm not, not – listen, I understand, you know, you can't be golfing 24-7. But, but at the same time, it just – to me, um, you know, I get folks up north that will call me and they'll say, you know, Ted, gosh, I, I get out here this season and, you know, this, that, and the other is going on. And I'll say, well, what have you been doing all winter? Well, I was, you know, really not yeah. working on my golf game. And I said, well, then we're starting from basically ground zero again. Um, and, okay. and you can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Go ahead, no, well, I was sorry, I was just going to go. You know, uh, go ahead, Ted. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to acknowledge. I, I thought you chimed in. You were going to say something. So go ahead. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many indoor facilities where you can do work. You know, you were talking about not too late in the season. I, I'll give you a prime example. Um, I was sent a video from a a, a a player over in Europe who's missed eight cuts in a row, and you know had had a, a major change that needed to be done. Uh, to get this swing better. And I said, well, you know, he wanted my advice. I said, well, we're going to make the change. I said, what do you mean? There's no reason to not do it. I mean, uh, you know, the track record is, is proof that what you're doing isn't working anyway. And so we right. made the change, and now we've got not only two straight cuts made on that, but on, uh, but uh, bumped up to the European Tour and made a cut there also. So it's Fantastic. never too late, you know. 
And but in, in that regard, though, and I think Clint's a lot along this line too. There are changes. You can make the right changes, and they can be done very quickly. And there's a key to that, and you have to know what changes to make. I mean, you know, you're not going to do a complete overhaul, but there are some there are some definite changes you can make that they can get done quickly that can make a huge dynamic change in the impact right away. Right, and and oh, and again, you know, we want people to get out there, and, and obviously, first and foremost, we want them to have fun. And if they're not, um, there's really two things that fall into place with that. Number one, they've got to be willing to make changes if if necessary. Uh, but they've got to be willing to put in the time and the commitment to do that. Um, and it's not just coming and, and you know, taking the lessons. That's the first part of, of the puzzle. They've got to be out there and, and be willing to work on their own time when they're not there at the golf course with you or, or the practice tee uh, or the putting green, you know, uh, Clint. Um, you know, with us there, they have to be willing to, to go and spend some of their own time out there. Uh, and there's things that you can do in the house. You don't even have to be out at the golf course. Things you could do in your own home. Uh, you know, the wall drill that you talked about, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can be doing um, even away from the golf course. So there's really no excuse. Um, one, one of the other questions I want to ask um, you guys, since we've got a little bit of time here, um, and, and Clint, I'll start with you. What can a player learn from his or her failures on, uh, on the golf course? And let's, uh, if you want to use an example of, of specific students, I mean, certainly don't have to give names, but, um, what can the player learn? Um, you know, they always want to talk about all the successes out there, um, but obviously, you know, they're, they're going to have more failures probably than, than um, successes, especially for the high handicap golfers. Mm-hmm. What, what do we want them to take away from their failures? Uh, and I, don't, I know failure is a harsh word, but in reality, there are failures uh, in, in golf as there are in life. Um, what do we want them to take away from that? Yeah, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty interesting question, actually. Kind of tough question. Um, you know, I be honest with you, I kind of want them to forget their failure. Okay. Um, I want them to remember what they were doing and understand what they did when they when they were successful. I, right. I don't want them focusing on the bad swing, or the 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 failed swing, or the putt that this didn't go in. You know, things like that. I I want them to be able to analyze what they did. Mm-hmm. When the shot was successful, there's a pattern right. there. All right. So therefore, I want them to focus their attention on the successful pattern, because I don't want them dwelling on what they did on their last shot. Uh, I want them to dwell on the fact that okay, that was a good shot. Analyze and pay attention to well, what was I thinking, or was I thinking? Uh, what was you know my body attitude when I hit a good shot? Because I want to replicate that as many times as I can. Right. Uh, you know, so that's what I, I really. If they learn anything from their failures, um, you know, maybe that's more a psychological or emotional issue. Maybe I was too nervous, or or I was putting too mm-hmm. much emphasis on one shot at a you know, or worried about what I'm going to do for my next shot, and worried about what I did on my last shot. Those kind of failures you can learn from it. You, you have to stay focused on, as, as cliche as it is, focus on the shot you're hitting. Right. Um, but as far as swing failures, I'm not so sure that I, I want them to learn anything from that other than the fact that they, they just need to forget it, pay attention to the good shots to, to understand how they react when they do hit a good shot. And, right. And, and, and then try and to I, replicate I, that. Right, and I understand your point. 
I'm going to disagree slightly with you a little bit, Clint. So I'm going to okay. uh, I'm going to nudge you under the bus. I'm not going to throw you under, but I'm going to nudge <laughs> you under the fine. bus. Um, That's fine. The, the reason why I say this, and why, and maybe I didn't phrase it the way it maybe it, uh, it, it should be, uh-huh. but I, I guess the reason why. I think that there has to be an acknowledgement. And, and again, I agree 100% with you. I mean, we don't want uh, the golfers out there, you know, focusing and dwelling on their failures. But they cannot be so um, the other way that they're not at least acknowledging and recognizing. When, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the golf swing. It could be just the, the, their state of play, what have you. And, Pete, I'm going to let you chime in here in just a second. But I think there has to be a certain amount of acknowledgement and understanding, whether it be from a mental side or an emotional side, as well as the physical side, of their failures. So they have to understand, first off, what they've done wrong, and then we have to put it in context, as you pointed out, uh, Clint, and then have a repetitive nature, if you will, on what they should be doing right. And there has to be a transition, because I think if they completely ignore what they're doing wrong in the golf course, then they're not going to be realistic, um, because everybody's going to have some bad shots. And yes, you need to put right. them out and you need to move on. But at the same time, there has to be some acknowledgement and some discussion, I think, of what they're doing. Uh, uh, Pete, would you agree with that on some context? Well, hang, or, hang on a minute. Now. You disagree with me. I'm going I'm to clarify what I said. Okay. Hang on just a minute. Okay. Is that, yeah, I think you have to recognize, obviously, you're going to very quickly recognize it was a bad shot. Right. And if you analyze that to point to compare against what you do when you hit a good shot, then I think recognizing that poor shot to compare, to understand the differences, uh, I would agree. Right. But I don't want them dwelling on what they did. No, no, I, I agree with that. Right. I feel like we're in the, the political campaign here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no. if I mention Clint's name, he's going to have a rebuttal here. Um, there you go. Uh, Pete, I'm done I, now, Pete. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have to move well, along here, guys. So, Pete, go ahead, Pete, yeah. your thoughts. Well, what, what I always try to get them to do is, especially in circumstances, let's say, for example, one of my guys finishes and he said, man, I had six three-putts today. And I said, well, let me ask you, were you thinking of the consequence or were you trying to make the first one? And and so, you know, a lot of times when you talk to them, you know, you'll have a guy standing over a putt. He says, man, if I, if, if I miss this putt, I'm going to have to buy lunch today. I mean, they're always thinking about, you know, what's going to happen if they miss it instead of thinking about, you know, let's just make it. So I yeah. try to turn the, the, the mental focus differently on those shots, acknowledging, yeah, you made some mistakes here, but let's turn the tables here the next time so you don't make those mistakes. I'll give you another classic example. I've got one player, every time he tries to shape a drive from right to left, he makes a double bogey. And I keep telling him, how many times do I have to tell you? You've got to stop doing that. Well, but the hole calls for a draw. I said, yeah, but it doesn't call for a double. <laughs> so. Right. You know, it goes back to where you just hit it to the corner and hit it on the green. I said, you don't have to shape that ball. Every time you try to do that, he's a left-to-right player. I said, every time you try to shape on right to left, you make a double or worse. And so, right. you know, learning from that, I said, you know, you have to just look at the scorecard. You know, par, birdie, par, birdie, double. Okay, there's a dog leg left. Okay, that was easy enough. You can figure that out. But I think, it, it, I think Clint's got a point, too, where you don't want to dwell on it. And, and, no. and uh, well, you both have good points. I'm being the, the, the moderator here in the middle. But I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to you have to get to understanding, you know, and I think a lot of it goes back to what you talk about with ball flights. You have to understand your misses, and you have yes. to understand why you missed them, but then you also have to know how to fix them. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day about golf swings. said, how, how can you watch all those bad swings and still hit it? I said, I'm always thinking of what the correction is. I don't see the bad. Right. I'm going the other direction. You see the bad swing. I see the fix. 
there's a difference. There's a big difference there. And it's just well, time to look at it. Yeah, and just to, to, to take it a little bit um, forward from that, Pete, is one of the things that I try not to look at is really so much the swing itself. And, and what I mean by that is, if, and again, I've said this example many, many times, but if you look back 20, 30 years ago at some of the golfers out there, um, very uniquely different golf swings, everybody from Elite Trevino to Arnie to Jack, so on and so forth. Um, and I tend to try to look at the results. I mean, it doesn't matter how they get there. Once they get to that impact position, if they're getting a good result, I don't care if they loop it around three times above their head and, and dance on one foot. Uh, I'm looking at the <laughs> result. Um, I mean, right. seriously, if you think about it, we, and we talked about this at the very beginning of the segment, you know, we're, we're seeing everybody trying to, for a long time, have been sort of shuffled into this one box. Let's have, you know, all of the different theories and things like this. And I think this has really confused a lot of golfers out there is they just, you know, they, they're not, everybody's the same. Everybody's different, which moves me into a category. I think all three of us can relate to, uh, and I'm nudging myself into that bus category, Clint. So don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but, but obviously, um, as we get older, um, we all have to overcome physical limitations uh, and I'm not talking about, obviously, um, serious limitations. I mean, obviously, there, there's uh, folks out there that have had some, some uh, uh, certainly uh, more mishaps than, than any of us have had. But, um, you know, we get a little bit older. We get a little bit stiffer. We're not as flexible. Um, you know, we don't get around as well, what have you. Um, Clint, I'm going to start with you. What, what adjustments can we make? What should we be doing uh, as we especially talk about some of the older golfers out there that come south uh, for the winter months? Um, you know, you might be talking 70, 80 years old. There's only so much they can do. What can we do to help them? Well, there, there's only, obviously, we, we all hope to be able to play well as long as we can. But they, they, there are some very simple things here. One, they need to stay as physically fit as possible. Just keep moving. You know, take dance classes. Do something to keep your body moving. Okay, that's first thing. Second thing, generally speaking, what I see in the older players is they lose. Obviously, they lose their <coughs> club head speed, so therefore mm-hmm. they're 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 going to lose trajectory, particularly off the tee. Right. So we highly recommend that the older the player go to a more highly lofted driver or a, a right. hybrid off the tee to get normal trajectory. You know, they used to get normal trajectory out of a ten degree. Maybe we need to go to a fourteen or fifteen degree right. club to get normal trajectory where the ball's not hitting the ground so fast. Um, and, and the third thing that we actually highly encourage them to do is recognize where you're going to have the most fun from. Mm-hmm. You know, get get your ego out of the way and go play those right. yellow tees. Okay? Yep. Because all about having a good time and playing the way you used to. It took me forever to get my father to move up to there to the <laughs> to the, the front tees. To where he right. could hit a three wood and an eight iron to a par four again. You yep. see, uh, that's what we encourage them to do. Say, hey, you used to hit a driver and an eight iron here from the back tees. Do you not want to still hit play that same game? Move up to where you can play that game. And they have so much more fun. They come back in. They're, they they've shot a good <clears throat> score. We got we have a dogfight every day at one of the clubs, and we got a group of guys that play that, and they come and they they shot their age, you know. Yeah. Well, they shot their age from the ladies' tees. But who cares? Right. You know well, they're having go- fun. You know, so that's what we recommend. Look for the higher lofted club to get more normal trajectory. 
okay? Uh, stay as fit as you can and start playing the game you used to play. If you have to move up, move up. You're 100% right, and, and I agree. And, and, all, and it goes back to what I said earlier is, is we want – the golfers out there that are listening to the show and, and, you know, pass us around throughout your, your, your foursome. Um, you know, we want you to have fun first and foremost, but we want you to, to be able to go out there with confidence and obviously to, to be able to play and, and hit some good shots. Um, you're not going to play the same way you did when you were 20 years old. It just, it's just not going to happen. I don't care what club you put in the bag or how many lessons and, and so forth. It's just not going to mm-hmm. happen. Your physical limitations uh, change as we get older. I mean, I can still hit a pretty good ball, but I know at, at 52 going on 53 here in the spring, um, I can't play as well as, as I once did. I can still play pretty decent, but not certainly to the level that I did when I was younger. And, and that's just an, a cold, hard fact. And I think once you come to the realization of that, um, then you're going to do that. Um, Pete, I, I know you're probably going to agree with that as well, but what are maybe some other things that, that you try to do to, to help with some of your, your aging golfers that uh, want to still get out there and have some fun, but uh, maybe struggle a little bit? What do we try to, what do you try to do to help them? Well, I think the, the first thing I try to get them to realize is I tell them the ball has no idea how old you are. It only knows the club's mm-hmm. going to hit it. So let's make sure we concentrate on getting the club ball contact correct. As long as we can do that, you're going to hit straight, solid shots. It's going to be easier for you to hit those shots, and you're going to have more control over the ball. You're going to have more fun hitting straight, solid shots. So let's get the let's get the contact down first. Um, I totally agree with with Clint. I wish you know the companies would make 15, 16, 17, 18 degree drivers. They get the same head shape, but they've got 17 degrees aloft. You know, it'd be so much easier for those players to hit those. They get a big mass that they can hit it on, but it's got a ton of loft on it it'd be so much easier for, for those clubs to be able to hit. And I always tell them, too, I said, you know, if, if a tour player came here and hit a driver and a seven iron in this hole, what tees do you have to hit from so you can hit a driver and a seven? Right. Right. Go up to those yeah. tees. That's right. You know, that's what it is, you know. And I, I well, also tell them, too, I said, some of the guys that, you know, don't want to move forward, I said, well, go to the front tees. And I said, you can move back when you shoot par. Right. Yeah, well, you know well, how long that takes them. Yeah, the other the other thing that I always yeah, you know the other thing I always try to say to them I say if you can if you can see the flag from those back tees then you can play that if you can't so move up until you can see the flag (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. we don't play the using that rule we can't ever play the back tees again because we can't (laughs) I can't see the next set of tees I can't see the ladies tees from back there well that's right but but realistically if you think about it i mean obviously we and i'm you know i'm just having a little fun here but you know obviously as as we get older our eyesight's not as good and and uh you know so you know if you're playing from from the championship tees and you can't even see where you want your ball to go it just doesn't make any sense so you know let, let's like you said move up especially when you get on the par 3s i mean if you're playing a par three that's 200 and something yards uh long and you're playing from the back tees and you can't even see to the end of the tee box you know you haven't got a hope and heck of, of landing it on the green no uh, right. you know unless you ricochet off a gator or something maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah. but you know but that's it but um you know I, I just wanted to have a little bit of fun tonight guys you know and I, again i asked some of these similar questions to to another panel but uh i just wanted to get some different perspectives and you guys have done that very sure. very well as as always but um cool i, I guess let, let's have some uh maybe a, a quick closing thought from each of you um Clint, I'll let you go first, if, if you don't mind. Um, what do we want, to, you know, again, what do we want to instill on, on the club golfer out there or the, the amateur golfer um, or, or somebody that maybe has 
drifted away from the game because out of frustration. What do we want to do to, to sort of hook them back in? Say, you know, let, let's get out there and give it another shot. What can we What can we tell them? Well, you know, I, I really like this new initiative they have through the PGA Play Nine. Um, mm-hmm. Go out and, and try. You know, the the clubs are welcoming now. I mean, you know, <clears throat> it's out there. There's an initiative to get more people in the game and get people to recover back into the game. Um, you know, it, it's hard to identify what will turn people back onto it because it's such an individual thing. But mm-hmm. we're still here. I think they need to understand the player that has kind of left the, the game for a little while because maybe uh, family commitments or whatever, we're still here. The golf course is still here. The staff still here. We'll welcome you back with open arms. Come back and play some golf. Um, there's all kind of opportunities to have get in a clinic, to meet new people, ladies, men, the whole thing. You know, it's a big push now to, you know, to the get golf readies and the things of this nature. That there there are ways to get back in the game and it not be such isolation. You can find people to play with. One of the most right. successful programs we've got is every day at one of our clubs. You don't have to have a game. Just get there by 11:30, and there's going to be somebody that wants to play. Just come on out. Yeah, that, yeah that's okay. that's true. Yeah, so that's, well said. that's the only thing to say, hey, we're here for you. Whenever you get ready, just come on back and, you know, uh, no hard feelings or nothing. Just come back to our game and <laughs> and, and, and uh, we'll certainly uh, hopefully be able to, to get them all energized again to play some guys. Well said, Clint. Uh, great, great promo there for sure. Um, yeah. Pete, what about you? Um, what... <laughs> What about you? Uh, your thoughts on, on what we can do to get some of these people back? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I always try to, as, as an overall standpoint, is, you know, don't don't make the game so hard. Um, you know, a lot of the players are making harder of themselves, you know, and, and when you're not hitting it well, you know, you know, get some help. You know, don't search too long on your own because you're just going to compound what's going on. I mean, there's a lot of good professionals in every area, a lot of great teachers, and, you know, they can get you moving along in the right direction, you know, for, you know, relative to what you're, what you're paying to play, you know. So I, I'm, I'm always going to be on the teaching side because that's, you know, um, that, that's what I devoted myself to. So, you know, the, just, just not, not making the game so hard on yourself. There's a simple way to do it that, you know, you can find some simplicity in there. Shoot, if you just type in simple golf, you'll find quite a few things you can find too. But, you know, I, I think in the end um, – you know, I love what Clint said there. You know, the golf course, we're here. You know, so so yeah. come on out. You know, come on back out. I mean, you know, get your kids out there. You know, you know, it's it's a it's a fun thing yeah. to do. You know, we've got a great place just down the road from us. It's a par three, the longest hole is 141 yards. I mean, it's just an ideal place to go play. Um, I, I take my daughter there all the time, I and mean, she's 24, but she loves to play there because right. it just fits what she can do. You know, it's it's so much easier to play. It's a lot of fun. You grab a little Sunday bag, you grab four or five clubs, and you go out and have a blast. You know, so those things are still there. So, you know, don't give up. Search around. Um, you know, there's a lot of great things that are that are growing in the game. So, um, you know, just uh, just just give us a, give us another chance. We're here, just like Clint said. Well, well said, guys. And I'm just going to add a, a quick closing thought, and then I'll let you guys go. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with, with what both of you just said, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, if you will. I think the next evolution of golf is going to be family golf. Um, and, and the reason why I say this is, obviously, as we all know, traditionally golf was, was a very male-dominated sport. Certainly, in comparison, uh, more men play than women. But there's been a big uh, surgence, if you will, uh, of 
uh, lady golfers here in the last few years, um, despite uh, you know a, a tough recession that uh, that's gone through here. Um, you know, courses uh, unfortunately some of them have closed up and that, but uh, others have, have opened up. Um, but I think what you're starting to see now is as more women become involved, um, they're wanting to sort of go to that next stage. And I think there's been a sort of a disconnect for a multitude of reasons of, of families. And I think part of it is social media has taken uh, especially some of the young kids away and got them doing other things and, and not really focusing on, on family uh, fun time. Golf is a great game for the family. Uh, I remember as a youngster, I loved playing with my dad. My mother played as well. We didn't necessarily play as a family because that was not something that was really, um, you know, done at that time. But my parents certainly played uh, individually, and they played together from time to time. Um, but in today's economy and today's demographics, if you will, this is a great opportunity for the golf industry to really grapple um, towards the family. Now, as more women are, are starting to, to come into the to the golf arena. Um, the next, uh, as I said, the next evolution is, is to get the family, to bring the family unit together. And what a great way for courses to really start to, to become aggressive in their marketing, especially some of the courses that might be struggling a little bit out there. Forget I'm just trying to get some of the, the old guys back in that maybe haven't played for five or six years that, that maybe have given up or what have you. Let's go after the families and get them out there, get the kids involved, get the wives involved, the husbands involved. And, you know, I, I think there's a whole area of golf that can be really channeled there instead of sort of going after the individual let's go after the family and get them out there and get the kids particularly out there involved uh, at a young uh, young age and there's lots of things Clint as you talked about get ready golf uh, all different great junior programs out mm-hmm. there uh, and and the moms w- love um, you know getting their kids uh, what mom doesn't love doing things with their kids and dad certainly wants to participate and there's some family family fun time that can be had if, if they just sort of work together uh, to do that. And I think that's what the golf industry really needs to focus on. Um, Vegas did that a number of years ago. You know, traditionally it was, they went after the sort of the traditional gambler and they turned it into more of a family experience. Now they're kind of going back the other way, but, um, but, and, and Vegas just boomed as a result. I think the golf industry can do the same thing, especially now that we've got more women getting out there and playing. Um, I think it's coming. We had, we saw a turnaround in our junior camps this summer. First time <clears> about four years, we saw an increase of participation. Mm-hmm. I think you're right on the money. I think it's coming. Yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, there's no question. And, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about that in another show, and, and there's a reason why uh, I'm going down that route because that's really what I'm starting to focus my efforts on uh, is, is more for family uh, and, and getting that family unit out there. I think, as I said, there's been a, a vast disconnect with the family units, um, as we've all seen and experienced, uh, some personally and some other uh, have seen it, uh, you know, in, in social media and things like that. And I think that this is something that, that really the golf industry could take a leadership role in and really get out there and capitalize. And I think, you know, I mean, think of all the great resorts out there that uh, that would be more than happy to embrace a family coming out there and not only just do fun things at the resort, but get out there and play. Disney's a great one, and uh, Myrtle Beach has some great uh, opportunities out there as well and, and all across the country. So I think that's where the next evolution of golf is going to be is in family, uh, family golf. So we'll see what happens. But, guys, um, thank you as always. Uh, Clint, if anyone wants to reach out, how can they do that? Real simple. ClintGolf001 at yahoo.com. Perfect. Uh, Pete? Pete? PlainSimpleGolf.com. That's P-L-A-N-E, PlainSimpleGolf. And finally. Well, gentlemen, as always, thank you very much. Uh, had a good time with you, as, as always. I appreciate all your thoughts and input. And, I, and most importantly, I appreciate you giving of your time. Uh, as I know, we're all 
a little tired sometimes, especially Clint, as we get a little older and Pete, yeah. um, yeah. we get a little tired. <laughs> our, our, our evenings are, are gold and, and yeah, uh, sometimes we, we, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you very much for coming on coach's corner. And I look forward to having you guys back here real soon. Yeah. Uh, been a pleasure. Thanks Ted. See you, Pete. Always, always a pleasure. See ya. All right. Thanks guys. Cannon and Clint Wright, uh, two very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel. I always have a good time with these two guys, and, and all of my panelists really enjoy their, their thoughts and input into the show, and, and, uh, and I can't think of a, a, a greater follow-up than my next guest, uh, a great young lady. She's been on the show a few times, actually, and uh, let me just do a quick intro, and then I'll bring her out. Uh, my, my very special guest this evening, of course, is Meredith Kirk. Uh, she's an LPGA teaching professional. Uh, as well as the former uh, Mrs. South Carolina in 2014. Uh, She's been considered to be uh, one of the best young teachers under 40 in 2014 and 2015 by Golf Digest. Golf Magazine is also considered to be an innovator of the year uh, in 2015, and and also uh, Golf.com considered to be one of the most beautiful women in golf, and I could certainly uh, agree with that. Uh, She's definitely a beauty for sure. Uh, she's ranked third in best teacher in South Carolina by Golf Digest for 2015 and this year, 2016. And you can see some of her golf tips uh, on the Golf Academy Live and the Golf Fix, uh, of course, on the Golf Channel. So without uh, any further ado, let me bring up my very special guest this evening, Meredith Kirk. Good evening, hey, Meredith. Ted, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you. I've actually enjoyed listening to the show. I was listening to everything about growing the game, and you guys are on track with that. Well, let me, let me ask you, and we'll start with that. I mean, what I want to do with, with you, Marathon, and one thing I didn't mention in there, of course, I've got to throw in there is, is an author. We're going to talk about your book here in just a little bit, but some other things I want to uh, sort of wrap up uh, as we go along here. But one of the things I want to ask you is what's your thoughts about family golf? Um, Well, my thoughts are very similar to your thoughts on that. I think that we definitely need to grow the game and the family needs to get involved. As you know, I have a large family. You know, I have three boys, two teenagers and a nine-year-old, and getting them out there can be challenging at times because, you know, we're pulled in so many different directions, especially with, you know, with the Internet and all this technology and everything. And this day and age that we're in is so different than when I was growing up and you were growing up. So. Um, I really think that to get the family out on the course, we have to make it really intriguing. Going at it's you know no longer are the days of us going out there and having stroke play, right? When I was growing up, right. I'd go out and play with my dad stroke play. Um, but I think a great approach to growing the game is making it as fun as possible, not stressing out so much about all the rules. Just going out there, making some swings having fun, maybe playing best ball, have a little fun with, you know, a little captain's choice. That's what I do with my kids. And when we go out there, it really gives us a chance to have fun and talk and just really, you know, connect like we would at the dinner table, you know, just Mm. connect in that way. So I think that it's a great approach bringing the family into it. And, you know, in Myrtle Beach, you see a lot of that because, you know, of course we have so many golf courses here and so many families come here to vacation. That's the one good aspect about coming to Myrtle Beach to play golf 
um, you know, you could come here and kids can actually uh, play free. If you um, go to uh, MBN.com or Myrtle Beach Golf Trips, you know, I partner with that company. We collaborate on a lot of work, and I, and I love working with that company because uh, juniors can play free. So there's so many initiatives out there. We have them in Myrtle Beach, and, yes, just getting the family out on the course, having fun, and making it fun is really the route to go with that. Yeah, and let me just add, let me just add very quickly um, just a couple of quick points on, on uh, a little bit about Meredith. Uh, as you mentioned, you're um, partnered up with uh, Myrtle Beach Golf. Uh, you're also an ambassador for Myrtle Beach Golf. Uh, you're also a spokesperson for Founders Group International, uh, yes. which is a great organization as well. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a moment. Um, but you're exactly right. And I think that one of the things that I've started to notice, and you know, if we look back traditionally, as I was making my points earlier um, with the panel, if you look back traditionally, golf, again, it was a male-dominated sport for a long, long time. Um, and, and I'm not even talking about the professional level. I'm just talking at the club level and so forth. And then more and more women started to, to become involved, and now you've really seen a, a boom. In fact, if you look statistically, I don't have them in front of me, but statistically, the main area of growth in golf has been in the women's market, not the men's market. In fact, there's been a decline in the men's market. And it's because more and more uh, business professionals and young women that have sort of gravitated to golf – for various reasons, are taking an interest. It's becoming more accessible. And I think as the women become more accessible, of course, naturally, they want their families to be involved. And I see a great opportunity here, um, and I know you've done some great work, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second, um, getting some of the more juniors. And I'm not just talking about the competitive juniors. There's lo lots of room and lots of great organizations out there uh, sort of funneling juniors into junior golf. But we want to get young kids out there playing, and you've got a great uh, uh, program out there that you're doing the, with the Junior Golf Exchange. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the Junior Golf Exchange, that came about as my platform uh, when I was Mrs. South Carolina, and I continued it for two years. Um, I'm still working the program, not on such a high scale that I was. I mean, it, it was a right. national program. I've kind of downscaled only because of time restraints and everything, but still getting clubs out to kids. But the idea, the concept of that program is, you know, being able to give kids a set of golf clubs at no cost. Um, because four or five years ago, when I was working with PGA Junior League Golf, really at its gra grassroots level, um, I had right. so many kids saying, hey, I want to play, I just don't have clubs. And then I had parents coming to me saying, you know, I can't really afford to go out and invest like two or $300 in clubs if I don't know if my child's really going to gravitate toward the game. And I totally get that as a parent. I don't want to go out and, and invest $500 and just kind of cross my fingers. So the Junior Golf Exchange um, was just a program I developed for kids to have access to clubs. And if they didn't like the game, they could turn the clubs <clears throat> back into the exchange and another child mm -hmm. could receive the club. So just a cool program that I ran here in Myrtle Beach, and um, I took it national um, all the way across the country. And a lot of people picked wow. up on it, and the idea kind of morphed. Um, with different right. golf courses, with the private ones and then the public ones. And um, it was just, you know, a wonderful venture. And I'm still doing it, on, like I said, on a smaller scale. But that's what it's going right. to take is initiatives like that, um, just allowing kids to get their hands on the clubs and try the game. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. That, that's, you know, especially when you start getting into some of your areas, your inner city areas now, where they just don't have the resources. Uh, what I would really love to see happen, and, and I'm – trying to wrap my mind about, I mean, there's a lot of 
program starting in that, but again, it's on a sort of a grassroots scale. I I really want to see golf become uh, more mainstream in the school system. And I'm not talking about the collegiate or even the high school level. I'm talking about elementary levels. Um, You know, we see uh, sports like um, soccer and, and um, you know, basketball and baseball and things and football, of course, especially here in the, in the South, um, you know, at at, uh, the, the school level, but you don't really see golf. And again, because it's a very costly sport, um, it's difficult to just really initiate, but there's a lot of great people out there that are starting to, um, you know, get into the school system. I would love to see a national school program, uh, just an introductory program to introduce some of these youngsters to the game. Because, you know, by the time they're about 14, 15, they're already moving on to something else. So we need to get them at that elementary level. And I would love to see, um, you know, the PGA and LPGA maybe work together. And they may already be doing something that I'm not aware of. But to, to get into maybe even starting it at a grassroots and, and getting it into the school system so that we can get some of these younger people interested in the game. And I think that's going to be another way to grow it. Yes. And in, in our area here, we have a few schools um, that have golf available um, in one county next door to us in Georgetown County. I believe that First Tee is involved with the mm-hmm. elementary schools there. And then it's kind of hit or miss in the county that I'm in. You know, there's some schools that offer after-school programs on golf right. and whatnot, but there's definitely there's that effort there. And golf professionals are really trying to work themselves and integrate into the public school system. Yeah, and that's what I mean. There, there is a lot of, as I said, grassroots uh, movement. Some great ones out there. Uh, Kate, uh, Kate Tempesta up in the New York area, I know, has run a very successful program. I know Nicole Weller uh, does some mm-hmm. great programs uh, in in the South Carolina area as well. Um, but again, it, it's sort of you know independent. I would love to see. What I really love to see is some of the major manufacturers come in with some serious money, work together with, the, as I said, the PJ LPJ Tour. And, you know, I hate to use this terminology, especially in the political climate, but lobby the government and, and get them, you know, <laughs> doing something like that. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, I just want to touch very briefly because, I, again, I, I would be remiss if I didn't. Um, as we talked about, of course, you were Mrs. Uh, South Carolina in 2014. Um, obviously, you've completed that cycle now. Mm-hmm. What were sort of your thoughts going into it? Um, what do you take away from that experience and how has it helped you to grow um, into who you are now? Oh, wow. Those are very good questions. I know that's, um, I know that's a lot. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, you know, going into it, um, I just went to go have fun. Um, <laughs> I had no idea I was going to win. I think you and I have discussed this before. Right. I truly did not think I was going to win, even when I was there. Um, the weekend. It was an entire weekend of competing. I mean, you have swimsuit, evening gown, interviews. Mm-hmm. It's very rigorous. And I was with these amazing women, and they were all so beautiful and sweet. Like, I connected with them. And it's so funny because I grew up kind of a tomboy. I kind of always avoided those really pretty, just totally put together women. And here I am among them trying to pull it off, right? And I ended up winning, and I totally connected to them. And so it really just expanded my group of friends um, because now I have so many friends that have competed in pageants, and I've really cherished uh, those friendships and appreciate those women because they have taught me so much about life. And it's interesting, sometimes the roads that God leads you down, um, if you're open open to to learning, uh, you can learn so much. And I did, and I had a great time. And uh, I learned a lot about how far I could push myself, you know, mentally um, and challenge myself and just put myself out there without a fear of failure. 
Uh, that was a big accomplishment for me, and I've learned that uh, winning's great, but um, failure is okay too in anything we do. Right. That you can learn just as much from not winning. I didn't win Mrs. America, and I, and I do right. not even see it as a failure. However, I learned a lot, and so you know where I'm at now, coming out of that, you know. Um, I would say I'm a, I'm a much uh, stronger person, and my mm. thin, my skin is much thicker. I can take yeah. the heat. Um, <laughs> I let things literally roll off my back. Um, so it's really helped me focus on, you know, what are my priorities, and right. I just, you know, stay focused on what my priorities are, and I try not to get distracted. It's very easy to get distracted when you're in the midst of all of that excitement and all these accolades mm. and all of that. But really, I just stay focused on what my goals are uh, with myself and my family. And, you know, I just give the rest to God and, and enjoy the ride. Because, you know what, at the end of the day, life is short. Um, even if we have the opportunity to live a very long, full life, you know, in our mm-hmm. 90s, right? It's right. still short. So where I'm at now is I, I want to utilize every gift and talent that I have uh, for the rest of my life. And I try to teach that to my kids. So. I'm just, you know, plugging along, um, teaching golf, and I enjoy being a spokesperson for Founders Group International and their affiliate marketing programs, NBN.com and Myrtle Beach Golf Trips. Uh, great company, and absolutely right. love the golf industry, and I'm enjoying that and um, just seeing uh, where God takes me. Well said. Um, one final question about the uh, Mrs. South Carolina. When, when you – I guess were exposed to some of the other contestants and they obviously understand that you were, cause you were a golf professional before you actually uh, got into the contest. Mm-hmm. Um, did they come away with an appreciation, a different appreciation for golf? I mean, some of them may play, but I'm sure a lot of them maybe uh, didn't. Were you able to sort of plant the seed while you were there um, sort of mingling about golf or did you get any sort of inquiries uh, about what you did? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the pageant was amazing because so many of the women, I mean, they all came from different careers. I mean, there was doctors, right. there was lawyers, all sorts of different women there. And so one of the one of the cool aspects about the pageant is when you go, you actually bring um, gifts for all the contestants, and it's the same gifts. So when I went, I had 52 gifts to give all these amazing women. And, of course, my, my whole theme was golf, right, because I represented right. the golf capital of the world, Myrtle Beach. And so I had golf balls and golf towels, and, you know, I put together this, this cool little pack for the women so they would get involved in golf, kind of like a starter kit. Well, they right. were thrilled about it. I, I was thinking, oh, they're not going to like this, you know. But, no, they yeah. absolutely were like, this is so cool. Now I'm going to go play golf because, like, you've given me everything to start, you know, minus the clubs to get started. Right. And then, of course, their husbands, you know, I had more husbands at the pageant pull me aside saying, hey, you know, I've got this hook and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, it's so funny. I think I gave like, uh, I think I had like 10 different husbands I was working with while I was at the pageant. Right. <laughs> it was so much fun. Well, and that's what I mean. And, 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 and as you talked about from, from a spiritual aspect, I mean, you know, we're given, God gives us all gifts and it's up to us to really 
um, of course, with his help to figure out what those gifts are. And then once we do, to be able to put them to good use. And obviously, you've been given um, many, many talents and, and obviously golf being one of them. And you're utilizing those and, and sharing that talent and that gift, if you will, um, with, with those that you come in contact. And that's one of the things that I've, I've really admired about you. I mean, um, you know, you do so many wonderful things and there's a lot of great people in this profession, um, but you are really, truly very passionate about what you do. And I think you have to be passionate regardless of what your, your talents or gifts are. Um, otherwise you're not having fun. You're not enjoying life. And, and there's, you know, we, that's a whole different discussion for a different uh, right. type of program, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, as you're, you're now coming into a di- sort of a different phase of your, your teaching, uh, career, and, and golf life, if you will, you as you said, you've part, uh, partnered with uh, Myrtle Beach Golf Trips. Um, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but um, we're going to talk about your book because there's a, a little bit of a relationship there as well. Tell us um, first off a little bit about your book. What's it called? Uh, I know the title, but I want you to to go through it, and then let's talk a little bit about the book and then your partnership with uh, Myrtle Beach uh, Golf Trips. Sure. Well, the name of the book is called Skill Drills. It's 91 golf drills to improve your skill level and thrill of the game. And so the concept of the book is it's just a book of golf drills. It's some of my favorite golf drills that I've been teaching for over a decade now. And what I've done is I've kind of compiled them into a book so that my students and, you know, people that watch my golf videos um, Mm -hmm. on NBN.com and other affiliates uh, sites uh, for Myrtle Beach Golf, information that I put out there. Um, It's just, you know, a way for people to, you know, have everything in one place because I do so many different golf tip videos. And I mean, I've done it from the golf channel and also with nbn.com. I mean, if you go to their video center right now, you'll probably find probably like 45 or 50 videos that I've done. And so I have so many people say, Hey, what was that drill that you did when you stuck the basketball between your legs? (laughs) Right. What was that drill, you know? <laughs> Maybe I should not have used that one as an analogy, but right. anywho. That's okay. I know what um, you meant. <laughs> so actually, that one is in skill drill, so just you can look it up as the basketball drill. Um, but, you know, so I just compiled everything, and it's great for me as an instructor because after a lesson, I always like to leave my student with drills. You know, it's one thing saying, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. It's another thing saying, hey – this is what, you know, we need to work on, and this is how you can accomplish, you know, getting from point A to point B. And so right. I, it's kind of like a manual. I can say, hey, go to page 38 and go to, go to this page. I want you to work on these two drills, and then we'll move forward and progress from there. And so it's really just a manual. It's going to come in handy for me. Um, but mm-hmm. I collaborated with Myrtle Beach Golf Trips with this idea you know, they're an amazing golf packaging company, and they're the coolest people ever to work with. And so I just had this idea, and I shared the idea with them about the book. And I said, hey, you know, I really want to make this available um, to everybody that's coming to Myrtle Beach right. and playing golf. And they're like, you know what? We totally support you. They're like the most, like I said, amazing people. I've worked with them six years. So what we've done is we've collaborated together, and here probably within the next month, um, skill drills is going to be available as a free ebook, a download. Oh, wow. And so you can go to MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com. They also have a sister affiliate site, uh, MBN.com, and I'm mm-hmm. sure there'll be information on both of those sites on how to download the book. 
And also, uh, another fun collaboration is we're going to video all 91 of these drills. Oh, wow. So there's, yeah, there's going to be a lot of different types of content. You know, we're all on the go. We all have our mobile devices. Some people prefer right. to watch videos. Some people actually are more uh, visual. They want to see step-by-step it written out. And then also in the book, there's pictures uh, to match all the steps. And so... Okay. Whatever you know, type of content you like, we're kind of knocking them all out with skill drills so that it can be available mm-hmm. to everybody. Yeah, and, and, and I like in, in part of the title what, what really sort of uh, appealed to me was sort of the, the last part of it, thrill of the game. Um, and, and that's something too is you know we want people to have fun in this game, and I, I think for there's been a period of time, and, and you know for we're, we're honest with ourselves, I think um, it, it's become very realistic. There's people, as I mentioned in the earlier segment with the guys, is there's people that have sort of drifted away from golf because they found it very difficult, very challenging, and we obviously you know are, are doing our best to, to try and, and help them out. Um, what have you found over your journey in, in golf? that has helped you to be able to help some of these people that maybe have kind of given up on their games a little bit? What are some of the things that you do to encourage them? Um, Well, I encourage them to keep it fun. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, studies have shown, I don't know, I think you have actually had Debbie Cruz, LPGA. She uh, is at um, Arizona State University. Have you had her on your show? I think so, yes. I mean, I've had quite a few, so I can't remember off the top of my head, but I believe so, yes. Okay, Debbie Cruz is awesome, and so when I was doing some continuing education work with the LPGA, um, she was talking about the brain aspect of golf when you're playing golf, that you you perform your best when you're having fun, and it's like that pretty much in every other sport, right? But there is definitely a link to our brains of having fun and enjoying the game, so what I do to encourage people to, you know, to come back into the game is make it fun. They need to have that fun experience. So I think keeping it simple, uh, not using all 14 clubs. Um, I'm a big advocate of, you know, pick seven or eight that you like. Or right. sometimes I have students, I'm like, listen, just take six clubs, your six favorite clubs out there, and I want you to go, I want you to have fun, and don't keep score. I want you to go play nine holes in the afternoon after work at least three times, don't keep score, only take the clubs you like, and just reconnect, just have fun. And I think sometimes, and even, you know, as a golf instructor, um, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to get very analytical, very technical, and it has to be this way because, you know, we have all this knowledge and information, and we have this technology that we have as tools, and, you know, you put it all – together and it's just sometimes it's just too much and you know you got to go back to keeping it simple and so that's that's what I encourage if I actually have a junior golfer who's wanting to quit and they're very talented and they once were very passionate about the game that's when I say hey I want you to go play and don't keep score just go have fun go if you want to throw down another ball there's no one behind you and it's late in the afternoon throw down another ball hit another shot just, you know, reconnect. And I think that's, you know, and it's kind of like that in every, every mm-hmm. aspect of life, isn't it? It's like that right. same concept with relationships with people, you mm-hmm. know, when, you, when you're not having fun anymore, you got to go back to the first love, right? You got to go back mm-hmm. to the, the, the first part of golf that you loved. And um, it's the concept that I think works with golf in um, really every area of life. Yeah, well said. And, and you're exactly right. You know, one of the things that I've noticed here for quite some time in golf, and, and I think that 
we, we've got to kind of get away from that. Two things, really. I'm going to talk about technology a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on it. But um, especially with some of the younger golfers um, that, that show a, a certain uh, skill level, I think there's been a big push for some of these youngsters to really get in there and grind it out, and that too, so much to a point that they're, they're not having fun anymore. There's too much pressure on them, and I think you have to allow their talents to sort of come out um, because not everybody's going to make it on the PGA or LPGA Tour. It just, it's just a cold, hard fact. And I think one of the dangers that we, we have to be careful of with um, our, our youngsters out there is that letting them understand that they're not there to just try and make it out on the tour. They're there to have fun. It's, it's, a, it's a, a great game. It can be used for fun. It can be used as a business tool for some people out there. Um, it can be used, as I said, for, for a family uh, connection platform, if you will. And, of course, for those that maybe want to play at a higher caliber, uh, it can be a great career, whether it be a teaching or playing career. So there's a lot of different platforms that can be had. One of the dangers that I've seen was with parents, and I'm sure you've seen it, uh, Meredith, in, in your teachings, where parents are just a little bit too pushy with their kids. H- how do we combat that a little bit? How do we sort of rein the parents in and let the kids just go out there and have a good time and let their natural abilities take root? That's that's a great question because I have seen that a lot where the parents, um, you know, are more passionate about the child playing than, than the child right. is passionate. And usually when I'm instructing, um, you know, a child, especially if they're under the age of probably 13 or 14, and mm-hmm. I see that they do not have any desire to play, um, right. usually what I do is I just say, listen, we need to make this fun. and have fun with them again because um, that's, it's just too much pressure. And I actually had a lot of pressure growing up um, playing golf myself. So I've actually been in the shoes of a junior golfer not wanting to play, playing well, but not wanting to play, not enjoying it because there's just so much pressure. You know, it's practice every day. It's nonstop. Right. It can be so rigorous. Yeah. You know? um, right, exactly. But, you know, and I think that's when you have to choose a good coach. I think that if a parent is very driven, that the best thing that they can do for their child is find a coach that's going to help balance the two out. Mm-hmm. And so usually what I do is I, you know, if I feel the parent is, you know, really, really uh, passionate and the child has lost their passion, what my goal as the instructor you know, it's one, obviously, I'm going to help them improve their golf swing, but two, it's really having fun. And that's, again, that's bringing fun back into the equation, creating games during practice. Um, <clears throat> that's, what, that's what you have to do. You got you to have um, incentives. You know, we're kind of wired for that. We need to have an incentive. I mean, when you're out in the course, if you're by yourself playing, and I know this is for me, if I'm by myself, right. I can focus, but sometimes I'll lose my focus. So sometimes I'll play two balls and I, you know, just playing two balls, (laughs) I'll have to play a game within myself to keep myself focused. And, you know, children are the same way. They need that too. But the best thing that parents can do is, um, you know, really allow their child to to guide in the sport because the last thing you want to do is is drive a child to not desire to play the game. And I have seen that. I have seen children – who are amazing, phenomenal golfers, and they quit. And it's usually between the ages, it happens about the age of 15, 16, or 17. It's, that's the most common yeah. age you're going to see it. And they literally fall out from it because they're that burned out. 
So, you know, it's like, you know, golf is like a marathon. When you're training and your goal, let's say your goal hypothetically as a youth is to get a scholarship, pace yourself, pace your tournaments in the summer, pace how much you compete. And also you have to make, you have to make time uh, to do fun things outside of golf when you're pacing yourself. You know, you, everybody has to have a break. And it's really good, actually very healthy for your brain to switch things up and do an activity that might be opposite of golf just um, for balance and everything. So those are things that I would suggest. Right. And it kind of reminds me, of, and, and I don't know whether you followed soccer much as a youngster or not, but, you know, it kind of reminds me of the soccer dads that used to be along the sidelines and they'd be kind of yelling out at their kid, you know, play the ball, do this, don't do that. And, you know, kind of interfering with the coach and they'd be running up and down the field more than the kid was just in order to, you know what I mean? They were just constantly, and you know, the kids just, you know, shrinking out in the, out in the field. Cause it's, you know, his, his or her dad that's yelling from the sideline and, and they're just too involved. And I think you have to, again, you have to find a balance and, and you're exactly right. You know, there's some great academies out there that can help nurture uh, along some of these students. But I think that we, we have to be careful that, um, you know, that we don't get so overboard that these, these kids just get overwhelmed because, and you're right, when they hit that about the 15, 16, 17 age, you know, their interests are starting to drift. And as a parent, I think you have to be willing to back off uh, a certain amount and say, you know what, maybe the kid wants to, to do something else for a little while. That doesn't mean they won't come back to golf if, it, if that's a passion. But if, it, if you're driving the passion, not the, the child, then mm-hmm. you're, you're going to run into those, those hurdles. Um, I, I quickly mentioned technology. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on this as well, um, since we never talked about this before. Um, obviously, I know that you use some uh, technology. I don't know what you use particularly, but um, your, your thoughts on technology. Is there a danger? Have you noticed a danger, if you will, of, of exposing students too much to the technology and not enough to sort of the fundamentals, if you will? And, and how do you find a balance? When is it okay to use the technology and how do you use it if, if you use it at all? Um, and, and keep that balance so that you're not sort of overwhelming the students because that's been a problem for the industry as well, I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I was actually just thinking about this the other day when I was pondering technology on my own because, again, <laughs> I see so many social media posts, track men, you know, flight scope uh, this, and the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. You know, it's yeah. always about the numbers. And, um, you know, you got to be careful with those tools, and that's, that's all they are. They're just tools to help assist and and kind of just pinpoint different areas that need improvement. And, you know, my theory on that is, you know, if I have a student that, let's say, has a handicap over uh, 10 or 15, um, what I usually will do is I will take, you know, I'll take a video and I'll I'll do a slow motion and I'll analyze the video. Um, I don't mind doing that once or twice here and there. I don't like to do it every time. Um, Mm -hmm. I only use it as a tool for them to actually see it in slow motion. And then after that, you know, you can make corrections. But, again, there's so many things fundamentally with golf that you can see with your own eye. You know, those the tools like, let's say, FlightScope and TrackMan, that's great if you're wanting to look at, right, you know, what is taking place at impact, you know, um, you know, what is the face doing, the path, and, you know, all that great information. However, if you have someone who has a 25 handicap, it's going to be irrelevant what your numbers are because you're actually going to be able to see what is going on just with your own eye in the ball flight, at, you know. So, again, it's, you know, the better the player, 
you know, as, as mm. you know, I have students that are professional and I have to always, I have to use those tools um, because right. it's so finite. <clears throat> the changes we make are so finite. Um, but again, you know, if it's, if it's somebody that has a higher handicap, um, right. we don't have to use those tools. And I love the fact that I don't have to use those tools because it makes, it keeps it fun. You know, because yeah. once you start using the tools, they might think it's exciting seeing the numbers, but actually it creates more stress. Right. <laughs> right. Well, so it's, um, it's a double-edged sword, really, and you do have to be careful. And also, um, personality type is really important. You know, really getting to know your student's personality type. Uh, you know, you're going to have very analytical students, and then you're going to have some right. students that are like, Oh, I don't even care to get my video. Just tell me how to fix it. Um, I love that. That's great. It's the one to get really technical that you have to kind of harness and say, okay, I'm going to show you this one area, but that's all we're doing. It's almost like you have to keep it from them so they don't get hyper-focused on an area that they don't need to get hyper-focused on. Yeah, and that, that's that's a great point. You know, just to very quickly, and then we'll we'll wrap up that that uh, discussion. But you know, one of the things, as you have pointed out, you know, you see on some of the discussion boards, whether it be on Facebook or other social media, and that, and 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 there's some on there that you know swear by this, or you know they've got to do this. And I always go back to sort of the basics, and I look at it from this standpoint. You know, what are you going to do if the power goes out or the battery dies? What are you going to rely on then? And I'm talking about some of the teachers out there that he- rely heavily on, on the technology and equipment out there um, in their teaching. Now, again, as you pointed out, I think it's a great tool to have, and I think a lot of these devices and, and um, programs that are out there are fantastic. But I think we have to be careful as, as teach professionals that we don't get too wrapped up in the numbers uh, game, if you will, because, again, if you, if you can't assess your students without that technology, then you're in a world of trouble when that power battery dies um, you know, should it happen in the middle? I mean, what are you going to do if the power goes out in the middle of a lesson? Well, I'm sorry, we got to we got to pack it up because I, I can't, you know, without my flight scope or without this, I can't I can't do anything. So, um, you know, to those uh, instructors out there that might be listening, you know, we have to be careful of that. And that's uh, you know that's something that I've I've been very um, fortunate. I, I try to find that balance as you do. Uh, there's an appropriate time for for certain information. And again, if you have some some sort of high tech people that like to see a little bit of the numbers, you know, I'll show them a little bit of that as well. But uh, you're exactly right. I think it's a balancing act. Um, I want to talk again, go back to, about the book and give you an opportunity to talk again about Myrtle Beach Golf Trips. I know you've, you've said here um, that you've partnered with them. Let's talk a little bit about them and, again, about the offer uh, coming up uh, with them for the book. Right. So the offer coming up, um, it will probably take place by the end of summer. I would say, you know, mid next month, but they're going to have skill drills, 91 golf drills to improve your skill level and thrill the game available as a free ebook download. And it's at MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com. They also have a sister affiliate site, MBN.com, um, mm-hmm. that will have information on there, I'm sure, as well, on how to do that. Of course, I will be posting on my social media, on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook on how to be able to access the free ebook uh, to download it. But, yes, it's a great collaboration with them. And, uh, you know, the goal of it is all these golfers coming to Myrtle Beach – uh, using MBN.com and Myrtle Beach Golf Trips to uh, plan their next golf vacation. Um, I'm really helping them out here. I'm hoping that their scores are, are going to be a little bit lower. They'll keep coming back to these amazing courses. 
<laughs> yeah, there, there's some. Yeah, there, there's just a. I mean, it's mind blowing, really, when you look at. It. I mean, the last count, and this was going back a number of years ago. I think it was like 150 or something golf course. And I'm sure there's more now, but uh, and that's just the Myrtle Beach area. So I mean, it's just a continually growing sport, and and uh, you know, Myrtle Beach is has uh, like you said is is the golf capital of the world, and it's a, it's a great place. I love it there. Um, and, and I actually, as I reached out to you earlier, um, I wanted to, I I've used others before, but I really wanted to get a premium, uh, organization that's in that area because I'm looking at bringing groups and things into uh, Myrtle beach to play. And I really want somebody to, to sort of partner with myself, if you will, um, with the show and that to, uh, uh, to bring some people to Myrtle beach. So, uh, thank you for, for sending that information to me and, and I have reached out yeah. to them. I'm just waiting to, to, uh, connect, but, um, now, you, you talk about and something kind of got me curious about this. Um, you stopped at 91. Was that just happened to be how many you did, or, or I mean, like not a nice round number like 100 or 75 or 91? So, was just, it kind of struck me as funny. I knew as you were going to ask me that, Ted. I knew you were going to ask me that. I said he's going to ask me about 91. I know it because I know you. Um, no, it's a great question. My goal is 100, obviously, to keep something obviously. nice and even, to, to keep it nice and clean, right? But no, what does mm-hmm. Meredith do? She has to choose 91. Um, no, what happened was I, I actually created 100, and some of them, some of the drills um, were a little bit too similar, so I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of separate the ones that were too similar, so I knocked out nine, and the okay. number came to 91, which ironically for me is <laughs> one of my favorite numbers um because oh. psalm psalm 91 is my favorite psalm and i realized that i was actually talking to my mm. mom i said well it looks like it's going to be 91 and then i said it and i said oh my goodness that's my favorite psalm so i actually have two um psalm 23 is you know i wrote that book thy club and thy staff and right. and then also um now i have 91 golf drills no it's not bible related this is strictly golf right. but um, yeah, it is my favorite Psalm 91. So I was actually, I, you know what, that must be a God thing. So I'll just keep it at 91. Well, that's perfect. What a great answer. Um, and, and I know you, now, are you, are there any other uh, future books that you're, you're wanting to work on that, uh, that obviously is golf related? Is there anything else that maybe you can kind of leak out a little bit tonight or no? <laughs> well, you know what, as of right now, I mean, I have ideas. I mean, I've always had right. something cooking. Um, but right now I'm really going to focus uh, this next year on uh, skill drills. And, you know, we're getting ready to shoot all these videos so everyone can have access to all the drills online as well. And it's going to mm-hmm. be a really fun year doing this. And it's a great project. And I'm hoping that it helps uh, a lot of players. And I've already had a lot of people reach out to me, um, college coaches and high school coaches, saying, oh, I need these drills uh, for the team. And um, so I'm excited uh, for everybody to have access to it because there's a lot of fun drills in there. And um, a lot of them I made up myself over the years, and then a lot of them were inspired um, by by people who have inspired me, you know, LPGA right. teachers and um, other you know, PGA uh, professionals and tour players. And so it's just kind of a mosh posh of different drills that hopefully will assist all, all players um, on all different skill levels. Fantastic. Um, that, that actually brings me to a, an interesting point. Who were some of your um, uh, inspirations in golf? Who sort of, you know, lit the fire in Meredith Kirk to, to gravitate to golf? Who were some of your heroes, oh, I guess? Wow. Wow, probably Nancy Lopez. 
I would mm. say definitely uh, Nancy Lopez was an inspiration to me. Um, I remember my first club. I believe my first club was Mickey Wright. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, iron. And I'm talking the blades, you know, the old school blades. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I would actually say uh, Nancy Lopez. It was really cool because she was at Monday after the Masters uh, two or three years ago, and I had a chance to interview her. And my knees were shaking. You know, it's like, uh, you know, let me interview. I can interview Darius Rucker and all these other people, and I don't get nervous. But here's Nancy Lopez, because when I was a little girl, I looked up to her, and I admire her so much. She's done so much for the game of golf. And she's truly a very kind and humble woman and a great example to the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually working on getting her on the show. Um, as I, I don't know if you're aware or not, I actually do two shows. I do Golf Talk Live Thursday nights, and then Tuesday mornings uh, I do another program called The Women of Golf um, where we've interviewed a lot of uh, not only Symmetra Tour players but uh, LPJ veterans of the game. We've had everybody from Rosie Jones. We have, Actually, um, our very first guest, and what I say are, uh, or our rather, is uh, my co-host on that is uh, LPJ professional Cindy Miller. And uh, oh, we host that together. Wonderful. Oh, yeah. Cindy, yeah. Cindy's just a fantastic uh, person. But our very first guest on the show was Kathy Whitworth, who, of course, is, you know, a legend of the game. And, uh, and to this day, she still holds the record of most tournaments won, professional tournaments won, male or female. So that's kind of interesting. But we're, we're working on getting Nancy, yeah, Nancy Lopez. But we've had some, some great ladies uh, of golf. And then, uh, again, some of the newer ones coming out on the Symmetra Tour. Uh, we've been we've been uh, featuring uh, every week as well, uh, so a lot of oh, great up and comers. That yeah, and and it really one of the reasons why I wanted to do a separate show for that. And and I actually it was kind of funny um, how Cindy got involved. Very quick story was I actually reached out to Cindy to have her as a guest, and when she kind of heard the concept of what I wanted to do is have a show dedicated specifically for women. That doesn't mean that men don't listen, but uh, it was really sort of uh, geared uh, towards women's golf. Um, she just said, well, can I be part of that? So her and I have been co-hosting that for, I think we're going on our third year now uh, for that particular show. And that's Tuesday mornings on the same network, blogtalkradio.com. Um, but okay, yeah, well, she's, I'm, gonna, she's just, I'm definitely going to listen to you guys. Yeah, she's, uh, and, and that's new, uh, Tuesdays from 9 to 10 Eastern uh, time. So that's uh, just before you, well, no, you, you're probably on the golf course early, but uh You'll have to uh, save it and listen to it in the archive version, I guess. But, um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. We, we enjoy some of the, the great ladies of golf, um, all kinds of teaching professions. And I'll get you on that show as well, uh, Meredith, uh, some, some Tuesday morning when you can squeeze, some, squeeze us in for some time. But uh, sure. a lot of great, great professionals out there. And, and I think that one of the things that you know, I really um, am, am excited to see is just the, the sort of surgence, as I mentioned earlier, with women in golf. Um, we've interviewed some some women that uh, are are business professionals. They're not golf professionals. They're business professionals that understand the value. Um, do you work with a lot of um, of your students that you're? I mean, obviously you're dealing with all different levels, male and female, young and and, and older. Um, but do you approach it also from the business standpoint? What a great business tool golf can be for for some of the up and coming uh, professionals and and business professionals out there as well that can use golf as a, a business tool. Oh, absolutely. Um, I have a lot of female students that are uh, business professionals and mm-hmm. um, improving their game, and they take a lot of trips um, together, you know, again, mixing business with golf, right. um, taking the approach that men have been doing for decades, and the ladies are catching right. on to it, and they're saying, hey, this is fun, 
And yeah, so it's, I mean, I think it is growing among lady professionals. And also I think that, um, you know, the millennials have been touched on mm. quite a bit. And I think that top golf, you know, different right. places that offer golf and in a different format um, is a way for, you know, females to get interested too, because, you know, with Top Golf, you know, they have it kind of the restaurant style. You're hanging out, you're relaxed, and women who may feel intimidated by swinging the golf club are like, hey, I'll try it. And they realize, wow, sure. you know, this, this is actually easier than I thought. I can, I can get the ball off the ground. Wow, I can do this. And so I think with women, sometimes it just takes that initial, um, that confidence of them making contact with the ball and realizing that they can do it, that it's not as hard as, as it seems. Yes, it's challenging, right. but it's not as right. hard as it seems. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. And, and and it really, I think, also, in, in all fairness to a lot of the uh, women out there that maybe are just starting out and, and are a little bit intimidated, I think that this uh, ebook that you've got coming out here in the next little bit is a, is a great way, a great start, because it gives them some drills that they can work on. And I think, obviously, you know, you want them to come out uh, if they're in your area um, to be able to come out and work with you and, and uh, get some of the basic setups in that as well and then progress from there. But uh, what a great opportunity um, really to learn. And it's a learning experience for you as well because as you go along and, and uh, work with the various uh, students that you're working with and get exposed more and more, uh, it gives you some great ideas to, to come up with and, and keep helping to grow the game. And you're doing a fantastic job, Meredith. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, so what's, uh, let, let's go back to family just a little bit very quickly. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that you've got three boys and of course, uh, do they all play golf? Um, actually, yes, they all play golf. Um, my, I'd say my youngest, well, no, Solomon, my middle son, he's getting, he's getting interested again. Um, my oldest son is a, um, U.S. Olympic weightlifter and oh, so wow. he's um, really, yeah, he just actually got ranked eighth in the nation this year for the 15-year-old mm -hmm. age division, so I'm really proud of him. He has no interest in playing golf. However, he does know how to play. He knows the etiquette. Um, right. Of course, you know, I had him involved in junior golf growing up, and um, so my middle son, Solomon, he'll be 14 next month, and, oh, he's he's got quite a natural swing. And if wow. he wants to pursue golf, I think he could go very far. But, again, remember we were talking about pressure right. earlier. And I'm, I, I take a very balanced approach with my children when it comes to sports. I allow themselves to lead um, in that area. I'm not real pushy um, because, again, you know, we all have certain gifts and talents. And you can't put a uh, – what is that saying? You can't put a square peg in a round hole. And right. so even though I am a golf professional and I play golf myself, I don't expect them to do that if that's not what they choose. However, Solomon has a natural ability, um, and I have a lot of fun playing with him. And then our youngest son, Jordan, he's nine, and he actually uh, he can swing right and left-handed. I've been teaching him both oh, wow. ways. He's yeah, like ambidextrous. And so right. that's been um, a lot of fun doing that, and he, and he really is an amazing golfer. But you know, it's again, I'm at that I'm at that age with um, both of those two sons that play that I'm just I'm letting them kind of guide and lead, and and we'll see. But in the meantime, they play a lot of basketball, so they have two roads they could probably go on. <laughs> well, and that's yeah, and that's exactly key, and that's paramount. I think you know, exposing kids to all different types of sports, and then letting them sort of choose and gravitate, and and obviously they know that you, you're big in golf, so they, they understand that that option is there if they so choose. But, again, I like the fact that you're not really pushing them. And who knows, your oldest son, when he 
kind of, uh, you know, goes through his process uh, with what he's doing right now. Um, you know, maybe later in life, he can say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm done with the weightlifting now. I'm done with, with other things that I'm doing. Um, there's still always time to, to, you know, hook up with golf later on in life if he so chooses. So, but I like the, your approach with that Meredith that you're not, you know, sort of ramming it down just because mom's, you know, into golf big time doesn't mean that my kids have to be out in the golf course 24 seven with me. So I like that approach. Um, (laughs) you know, and that's fantastic. Um, very quickly, just if you wouldn't mind, Meredith, before we, we wrap, it's hard to believe, gosh, this hour's just blown past. Um, I know, we always have so much fun. I mean, I I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) I know it. You know, I I was, I was going to say, start off the segment by, by saying something and this is God's honest truth. Um, you know, normally when I have a guest coming on, of course, I, I put some talking points together. They'll either give me some notes or whatnot. And I usually have a whole series of notes. You're one of the only guests I ever had that I didn't have to do anything for because there's just so much to talk about that we can do on the show that I didn't have. I'm, I'm kidding you not. My page is blank as far as talking points um, with Meredith Kirk because there's just so many things that you're involved in do and have done that I knew that there'd be no problem in, in having the conversation flow. So thank you for, for that, making my job easy here tonight. Um, oh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I can assist because <laughs> <laughs> yeah usually I'm you know typing away here and getting all my notes together and I just thought no I'm, I, I know what I'm going to ask Meredith and, and I know that uh, the conversation will flow quite well so thank you for that uh, again um, but very quickly again just remind them of the book um, and, and one other thing I was going to ask is it also are, are you leaning towards at some point is it going to be available in a hardcover version or no um, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not going out to get it published right away in hardback okay. or anything. I'm really, you know, the focus is all digital. And right. and so, I mean, I might for my students, if they need a um, hardback copy, have that available for students and whatnot. You know, I'm not out to sell this as a book. Um, I just, you right. know, I want to be able to bring it uh, through MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com and MBN.com through um, to you know all different types of mobile devices through the ebook. So I'm really staying focused on digital because again in this day and age, um, you know it's sometimes it's hard to sit down and just read a book and everything is so digital that I want to make right. it available to everyone. So you know when it comes out, it will be you know a download that actually has you know steps, you know step by step guide mm-hmm. for each drill. You'll have the pictures that you can view. And then we're getting ready to shoot all 91 of these tips uh, throughout this next year so you can access the book through video as well. And, again, all that information will be um, up on MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com and its affiliate sister site, MBN.com, here probably by the end of summer. So the end of summer was our goal on releasing the book. And so I would just keep checking back uh, to those sites and then also – I will be, um, you know, blasting it on my social media, so Instagram, mm-hmm. on Twitter, Meredith Kirk on Facebook. It's Meredith Kirk on Instagram and Mayor Kirk, M-E-R-E Kirk um, at Twitter. And I'll be putting that information um, out there for everyone. But it's it's going to be – I'm really excited um, yeah, because it's, it's just really simple drills. A lot of the drills are a lot of fun. And, again, we got to keep it fun, and that's it goes mm-hmm. back to the thrill of the game, the subtitle. So right. um, we we got to keep that thrill. we got to have fun out there playing golf because that's how we're going to grow the game. And also that's how we're going to improve our own golf swings. Right, exactly. Well said. Um, Meredith, I want to thank you for coming on uh, Golf Talk Live again. It's uh, as always, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you know you have an open invitation. You're welcome to come back any any uh, time that uh, you feel like talking some golf. This is a great uh, game that we're involved with, and uh, you you certainly are a great ambassador 
um, of the game, and you're doing so much to help grow it. And and I'm looking forward to developing a partnership of my own with uh, Myrtle Beach Golf Trips. I think it's a great organization um, from what I've observed of it so far, and uh, I'm certainly looking forward to connecting with them as well. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, they have some of the, the best courses. I mean, I know. you know, <laughs> when you talk to them, I mean, you've got, you've got Grand Dunes, Litchfield, you have Kings North, um, you know, Myrtle Beach National, the West Course, the South Course. Uh, you have Polly's Plantation, Pine Lakes, Myrtlewood, River Club, and River Hills. I mean, can you tell? Can you tell an ambassador yeah. for Myrtle Beach Golf? They have, and then you also have TPC, and I teach at the Dustin yeah. Johnson Golf School, which is, um, you know, at TPC. So mm-hmm. um, they have just amazing courses, and ma- it's an amazing group of people, and truly you're going to get your best rates um, coming to Myrtle Beach through them. And also now, hopefully, everybody will be able to improve their game with skill drills. At least I'm hoping so. <laughs> right. I, I have no doubt, Meredith. I, I, in fact, when it's available, I'm going to download it because I want to uh, – uh, you know, even though I teach as well, I want to work on some things for myself. So it's always nice to, I always like to collaborate. Um, but I also like to learn from other, uh, teachers as well out there because you know what, you're never too old to learn something new. Um, and there's always somebody might do something a little bit differently. So I'm going to be watching for that when it comes available on those sites. Um, Meredith, again, thank you very much for, for giving of your time. I know it's not always easy. There's family obligations and, uh, we all have a busy work day. So I appreciate you giving of your time. And, and again, I mean this sincerely, you're welcome to come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me on, and um, if there's anything I can do, you let me know, because I'm here to help grow I, the game. I appreciate it. Um, thank you, Meredith, and have a great evening, and God bless. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, um, LPJ professional uh, Meredith Kirk. What a great uh, young lady. Um, certainly, uh, as I said, a, a great ambassador uh, for Myrtle Beach Golf, but also uh, just a, a wonderful individual, and she just gives so much back to this game, and that's really what it's all about. I mean, we get given so much through this game, enjoyment and fun and, and all these things that we try to do, but, um, you know, great uh, spokespersons like uh, Meredith like to give back as well. And so make sure that you go to uh, MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com in the next a little while, uh, over the next month or so, and also uh, MBN.com. And look for her new uh, ebook coming out, Skills, uh, Skill Drills, 91 Golf Drills to Improve Your Skill Level and Thrill of the Game. Uh, I know it's going to be a great book. And again, thank you, uh, Meredith, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Um, I want to take this opportunity as well to thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in. Uh, I, I say this all the time, but I, I do have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a, hum- a number of highly talented coaches, teach professionals, and authors uh, and entrepreneurs stop by the program, and it's really through their participation and guest appearances that help make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thank you to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird uh, from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com uh, and get your request your copy of the guide. Some great courses uh, throughout the uh, southeastern part of the United States from Texas uh, all the way over to uh, Florida. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com. And if you're interested in advertising uh, in Jonathan's publication as well, uh, you can reach him at jonathan at southcoastgolfguide.com. Uh, and, of course, my very special guest tonight, Meredith Kirk. Um, great uh, professional. Go to mirkirk.com. Uh, That's M-E-R-E, uh, golf.com is her website. Uh, and you can also find uh, some great videos, as she pointed out, on Myrtle Beach. 
uh, golftrips.com and I believe mbn.com is the other site as well. So make sure you go and, and check those out and keep an eye out for her book uh, coming out shortly. Uh, thank you to Nikki and Tiffany Litherland. Thank you for all your uh, continued support um, on the show. Uh, also, Mr. Bernie Pinder, uh, the founder and owner of Ontic Golf. Go to onticgolf.com if you're interested in uh, acquiring a customized putter. Bernie is the man to speak, see about that. Uh, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you for all of your uh, continued support. A great uh, teacher professional as well as a club uh, professional, club fitter rather, uh, Mr. Peter Doyle over in Ireland. Make sure that you check him out as well at Doyle Golf Solutions. Um, Sean Kelly, of course, the owner of LinkedGolfers.com. A uh, great social media platform uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, he brought that out uh, to the general form, if you will, of, of the internet. Go to linkedgolfers.com. Some great information there. Thank you, everybody, and I look forward to seeing you uh, next Thursday at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody, and have a great uh, weekend. God bless. <laughs>